Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 14 through 32. Verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, or Beelzebub, some of yours may say, the prince of demons, he is, driving, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can, this, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Verse 25. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with all the people of this generation and condemn them. For she comes from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. You understand all that? That's a lot, isn't it? I, I hope this. I, I hope this. I hope you're grabbing your Bible and you're running ahead and, you, and you're studying and you're reading. Because showing up and just hearing these verses all at once is very overwhelming. So I hope you're reading ahead as we're getting there. But even in these verses, even though it may seem overwhelming, I want to go through and I want to unpack some of this stuff and look at it. Because what God is showing us here is an incredible truth about who He is and who we are in Him. So let's go ahead and go to verse 14 and let's begin to look at this. Jesus was driving out a demon. That demon was mute. If you look at another synoptic gospel of Matthew, which parallels and has the same story, it says that this man was not only mute, but he was blind. So he pretty much had lost everything. Um, Sometimes when we think about demons, how many of you get freaked out when you think about demons? Anybody? Ray gets a little scared when you think about demons? We have all sorts of stories of demonic activity, and some people get a little weirded out or like, uh-oh, you know, here's the demonic stuff that's happening. And 
So understandably so, when we read about demons in the Bible and we're told about them, they're often accompanied by a lot of stuff that's bad for humans and and not good and torturous and all that stuff. And so we don't talk about it much in our everyday conversation as we muse about our Monday through Sunday as we go to work and stuff. And so when we hear about demons, sometimes we get a little freaked out or we get a little weirded about it. We We read in Luke earlier that there was a man full of a multitude of demons. Remember this? What did the people of that village do? They chained him up in the graveyard. Like they were scared of him. They put him in the graveyard and he broke those chains. And, and then here along comes Jesus and casts all the demons out of him. But we hear these stories about people that are, that are possessed with demons. And sometimes it scares us, scares us a little bit. And rightfully so because Satan, Satan and his demons, are, they're, fallen, they're fallen beings that God has created. And they're very powerful. But here's the deal. In Jesus Christ, he has given us the power to overcome any demonic activity that we see in this world. If we have asked Jesus into our heart, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And we have the power, the same power that Jesus had when he cast out the legion of demons in the man in the graveyard. So when we hear about demons, think of this, 2 Timothy 1.7. Write this verse down if you don't know it or memorize it. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. As Christians, we have the power of Jesus in us that overcomes these demons. All right, here's an illustration. You guys like snowboarding? I know Brittany likes snowboarding. How many of you like snowboarding? It's snowing outside, so we have to have a snow illustration, right? So I I, I snowboarded a lot of years, and I'm not very good. Um, But I learned something a couple years ago when I was actually snowboarding with Jeremy and Brittany. Brittany is an excellent snowboarder, snowboarder person type. There you go. Huh? A boarder. She's an excellent boarder. Expert boarder level. And does all these incredible tricks and all this stuff. But for most of my life, I've, I've approached snowboard. It's just I don't want to get hurt, you know. And it's been, it's been kind of fun. But Brittany doesn't care about getting hurt. <laughs> no, she's very talented. She does care about getting hurt. But one thing I learned when going with Jeremy and Brittany is there's these huge jumps. And if you're timid about taking these jumps, it's probably not going to end up very well for you. Right, And I, I remember the, the one time I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to do like Jeremy and I'm going to try to imitate Brittany and, and I'm going to hit this big jump and go for it and not slow down. It actually worked out for me. But most of my life, I would come up to these jumps very timid and I'd kind of be like, oh, I don't want to get hurt. And I'm going to get slammed because I didn't have enough momentum. I didn't have enough power to, to overcome this huge 40-foot gap that I just did. Or maybe four foot. But I, I, was, I went about it timid. And as Christians, sometimes we do this. Sometimes we do the very same thing. We hear about demonic activity. We hear about things of the spirit. And we go at life timid. Like we don't have the power to overcome that. Contraire, mon frere. We have the power to do this. We have this power. Second Timothy 1.7. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That's good news for me. See, this man was blind. He was mute. Satan had taken this man to the bottom. He had taken everything from this man. Newsflash, Satan wants to take everything from you. He did. He took it from this man, took everything from this man. Beelzebub is known, if you, if you want to research that word right there, it means the prince, or it actually means the lord of the flies, you know. Uh, but he's the, the prince of the demons. He, he comes about as a Canaanite deity. These, these guys are worshiping Canaanite deities here. The devil 
I think is funny because right here, these, these people are saying, Jesus, you're doing good. And so it must be coming from Beelzebub, the Canaanite deity. Does this make sense to you? I mean, just logically, does this make sense to you? The devil is doing good things. Does that, does that make sense to you? How, how can this be? Can the devil do good things? So a lot of us know that I'm, I'm going through seminary. I'm in I'm apologetics class right now. And Dr. Grotheis, you have, to, you have to pronounce it like that or he gets mad. Grotheis, okay? Um, if he's listening, please don't flunk me. I'm not making fun of you. You're, you're doing very well. Dr. Grotheis is teaching me apologetics. And apologetics is why do we believe what we believe and, and one, in, in, in the Christian faith. One of the things that, that Dr. Grotice does is he goes and he debates atheists and all sorts of stuff. Brilliant man. He'll be at CU campus on the 22nd of February doing this. And one of the things he's trying to teach us is just the principle of logic, the law of logic. People, doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. We have brains. We can think logically. And, and so as we think logically, even through this process, one of the laws of logic is the non-contradiction logic. So how our, how our mind works. Things cannot contradict themselves. Like Jesus cannot be both sinless and sinful. That would be a contradiction. That, that's, that's just not logical. Jesus cannot be both light and darkness. Law of contradiction. Jesus cannot make something both true and false at the same time. Law of contradiction. Another law of logic is the law of excluded middle. And this is kind of an example of that. Someone is either alive or dead. They're, they're not in the middle. <laughs> they're either alive or dead. There's no excluded, the excluded middle. Another one is Jesus is either Lord or he is not. Logically, as we begin to go through this, I mean, let, let's just think in rhetoric style as we're talking and building a case for who Jesus is. As we think about this, Jesus is saying, how can the devil do good? That would be a law of contradiction. The devil cannot do good. I am either Lord or I am not. I'm not somewhere in the middle. And as we as Christians approach the Bible and as we approach this passage even, Jesus is making it so clear that he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. And there is no one else that comes before him or after him. And all power rests with him. Matthew 6.24 says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and you will despise the other. How are you living your life? Are you going at it timid as a Christian? Are you going about life timid? Are you going at it kind of in the middle, like lukewarm, like, ah, Jesus is kind of cool, and you know, just kind of right here? Or, or are you living in the power that Jesus has given us? The power that's not timid, that loves and has power, says Jesus is Lord, he's my Lord, and he's a Savior. He is the hope of the world. See, Jesus in, in this passage has shown us, he's saying, I'm either all good or I'm no good at all. Jesus, I'm either all good or I'm no good at all. Sometimes, and we've talked about this before, when things happen in our lives that we don't understand or things that are hard, you may some, some, sometimes hear this, that Jesus has caused this bad thing to happen to me. Hmm. Just... If we go on the law of logic, can that happen? 
Jesus caused this bad thing to happen. Bad things happen in our lives and, and, and we go, God, how can you be so bad? Really? Can a good God be bad? I'm either all good or I'm all bad. Which one am I? Like, There's no middle ground here. I'm either God or I'm not God. And as things come up in our life, sometimes we blame God for these bad things. Really? Read the book of James and what perseverance means and trial means as Christians and how we're supposed to live through our trials and, and the persecutions that come about in our life. But as we're looking at this passage, I want to, I want to point out something, okay? So there's the, the demon, uh, Jesus speaks to him, the crowd's amazed, and in verse 15, they say it's by Beelzebub. He goes, really, how, how can that happen? Um, and then he gets, and he says in verse 16, a house divided against itself will fall. A house divided against itself will fall. A marriage divided against itself will fall. Life divided against itself will fall. Great kingdoms of history. We can see great kingdoms of history that that are big and powerful, even more powerful than America. Warning America have divided against themselves and fallen. Once we step outside, outside God's will, that will always bring destruction in our life. The moment we begin to step outside what God has for us, the moment that we begin to divide our house, oh, God's kind of good and kind of bad, the moment we begin to do that, it begins our destruction and begins our, our downfall. Because the kingdom cannot be divided against itself. We cannot question the goodness of God, or and we cannot question the evilness of Satan. God is good, and Satan is bad. Any of you know the W's, old school band? Yeah, you are the devil and the devil is bad, right? I think that was the W, I think that, was that the W's? Yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, that was an old uh, scoff flashback right there, okay? But we cannot question the goodness of God or the evilness of Satan. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this, that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Like he wants to come and he wants to start masquerading himself. So we think that he's beautiful and he's good. And there's good attributes of Satan. There are no good attributes of Satan. Just like there are no bad attributes of Jesus. Jesus is either all good or he's all bad. And Satan is either all good or he's all bad. A a kingdom divided against itself will not fall. The devil destroys. That's what the devil does. The deliverer, Jesus, he rescues. Satan weakens life and Jesus enhances life. Satan cripples life and Jesus liberates. Who do you want to follow? Who do you follow? Do you follow the prince of darkness or do do you follow the king of light? A kingdom divided against itself cannot and will not stand. So Jesus goes and he says that. He goes through and he goes to verse 19 and verse 20. But I drive out demons by by the finger of God. That's by the Holy Spirit. I'm driving out these demons. And then in verse 21 we get to this. And maybe you've heard this story. This is a parable. And Jesus says, When a strong man... Fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusts and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. 
when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and then does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Verse 25, when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jesus is saying there's, there's a strong man. He starts out this parable. And, and I've heard different commentaries. I've heard different takes on, on who the strong man is. A lot of theologians will say the strong man is Satan himself. Satan is there. And I think, though, that the strong man, if you read it through this lens or through this eye, is us. We are there, and this is our house. The strong man, we're there to protect our house. But oftentimes, we think that we can do that on our own. Look at it through the eyes of thinking the strong man is us. We think that we can do that on our, uh, on our own. And we cannot. We cannot protect our own house against Satan. We cannot. He is powerful. We get to the part where it says in verse 29, when he arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. A lot of us think that we're just smart enough or we're just good enough or we're just educated enough or whatever it may be that we've swept our house clean we've kept it in order and we can stand at the front door and say satan stay away from me leave me alone by our own power and by our own strength there's a great error in there because satan will overcome us he will deceive us he wants to kill us if we try to protect our house on our own it will fail We need the power of Jesus Christ, not the timid power. We need the strong power of the Holy Spirit in our life to protect our house, our life, our room from Satan and all the fiery darts that he's throwing our way. Satan wants nothing more than to kill, steal, and destroy our life. And he'll do it by dividing our kingdoms. He'll do it by taking our focus off of Jesus Christ. If you think back in, in, um, in the church in, in the ancient times, the Spirit of God lived in the temple. This was a sacred place. And this was, this was powerful. And it's the Holy of Holies is where the presence of God lived, in the Holy of Holies. And it was so holy that only, only the high priest could go into the temple one time a year. And, and not only that, they would have to tie a rope to his foot because if, if, the, if the high priest went into the temple and there was any sin in it or any imperfection, he would die instantly. And the priest could not go in and, and drag him out. So what they would do is they would pull him out by the rope. Like, holy of holies, the power of Jesus Christ in this place. That power... That spirit is the same spirit that, that lives inside us. It's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, read the book of Galatians. No, memorize the book of Galatians. Read it over and over and over again because it talks about the Holy Spirit in us and the power of Jesus Christ. That power that was displayed in the old time that that would kill people in an instant if there was any impurity has now gone through and Jesus Christ walked in it and the Holy Spirit has come and given us that same power. That's not a small power, is it? That's a strong power. Yet sometimes things like demons, finances, or whatever they may be, scare us. When we begin to take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, our kingdom begins to get divided. And we're walking timid in a powerless power. Because we're not walking in Jesus Christ. 1 John 4.4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. 
Because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Do you believe that? Do you and I believe that? That the power that is in us is greater than the one that is in the world? Okay, there's a whole lot to unpack here. And obviously, I'm just, I'm hitting a couple things. My hope, again, I say it again, is that you'll go home and you'll read through this. My hope is this. Some of you will go home and buy even Logos, the the computer program. Spend thousands of dollars to help you read it. Some of you, go go buy commentaries and start reading it. Some of you, just just go talk about it. Get coffee and talk about it. Start living in this. And why, Why do I say this? Because of this. Let's go down to verse 28. Are we in 28? Oh yeah, 27 was that weird verse about Mary and that kind of cool. And then we get to verse 28. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Hear the word of God and obey it. I think it's pretty cool. He says, only, the only one that's going to be blessed in life is those that hear the word of God and obey it. Are you studying scripture? At Church Project, we study scripture. And I love that about Church Project. We've been going through Luke for a long time, and we're going to keep going through it. And then we're going to go to the next book. There's a lot of books in the Bible. It probably won't be Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We'll probably be bouncing around a little bit. Um, But I love that about Church Project is that we're studying Scripture, and we're very diligent about studying Scripture. Are you studying Scripture on your own? And not only that, it says, are are you hearing the Scripture? What about house church? Are you talking about scripture? Are you listening to podcasts and messages? What are you doing to put the word of God inside you? You could be listening to it, watching it, studying it, talking about it, meeting for coffee. We should, this is what we should do. We should daily do and strive to be what the church was like in Acts. Like we should long to be talking about the word of God and the things of God and the whisperings of God. That's one of the things I like about our Sunday mornings. Is when we come in, we get to talk, we get to greet each other, we get to laugh, we get to talk about the week. You know, was it a good week? Was it a hard week? You know, but even in the middle of that, we, get, we have this commonality of Jesus is good and Jesus is sustaining us. And that is so awesome, isn't it? Because we can come in here and we could have had our tails kicked all week long. But to look each other in the eyes and say, God is good, that's where it's at. I need that encouragement to you. This only comes by hearing the word of God and walking in the, in the word of God daily. Then house church, talking about the word of God, dialoguing about it, saying, I don't understand this part, or I thought this part was cool, or whatever. That's where growth comes from. So again, if you're not involved in a house church, get involved in one. It's the best thing we do. Well, Brittany thinks first Wednesdays. I like those too. We do a lot of cool things here. What, what do you think, Jason? Both. Okay, both of them. All right. God's doing some cool stuff here at Church Project. And I think as we move on to this next year, we're going to see some incredible things happening here. In fact, our leadership team is meeting um, after, after our Sunday. We meet the first Sunday of every month, and we talk about where God has us and where he's taken us. And, and be praying for us, even as we're talking about a location change and what may be happening. Our lease is coming due here. And, and we've been talking about this for months, and we've been praying about this already. Church, pray for your leadership team. We have an awesome leadership team. And I believe that, that through God and the leadership team, this church is going to be an incredible place. And I think we're going to see an incredible next year. So be, please be praying for us even today as we go into our meeting. Let's continue through this. 
I thought about leaving this next section out, but I thought it's just too good because it's simple. And I, want to, and I want to put it in here. I know it's going to make it a little longer, but let me read through this, okay? Verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asked for sign. But none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise in the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men in Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. As we look through this, we see that the queen of the south will rise, and she came up, and she came up from a a carnal town in Africa. And why did she come up from this carnal town in Africa? To seek the wisdom of Solomon, and and what does she end up doing? The same thing that that the men in Nineveh did. They said, give us signs, and the men in Nineveh saw Jonah there, and what did they end up doing? They ended up repenting. A lot of us, we go through, and we're asking God for signs, and we're asking him for show me your strength and who you are. Well, the queen of Nineveh, or the queen from the south came up from that carnal place and saw and repented. The men of Nineveh saw and repented because they saw, they saw Jonah and he was the sign. We have been given Jesus. We have been given the Holy Spirit. And when we line ourselves up to Holy Spirit, our own sinfulness is enough of a sign that we need a, that we need a Savior. Let me say that again. When we see Jesus and we line ourselves perfectly up to who he is, the perfect God, the Holy One, full of truth, no sin in him. When we see him and we line ourselves up to him, our own sinfulness is enough sign for me that I need a savior. What about you? Are you just perfect and just good enough and your house swept clean enough that you don't need a savior? That you can stand at the door and you can protect yourself from the strong one, Satan, trying to come in and kill, still and destroy you? I am evil. I am bad And I mess up. And that's why I am so thankful for the love of Jesus Christ in my life. That's why I'm so thankful for for his forgiveness. For his power and his strength that is in me. Because Jesus died on the cross. And he defeated death. He wiped away all sin. For me and for all of us. The only sign that we really need to see that Jesus is a savior is our own sinfulness. And then we realize we need a savior. Do you like hearing that? Some churches won't preach that, by the way. We are going to preach the truth. And sometimes when we come in here, it's not going to feel good. I mean, it's not a good message to come to church and hear that you're sinful and messed up and you need a savior. That's the truth. And that's where life is at. But there's also other truth. And I do want to share this to you. God knits you together and he has a real purpose for your life. That's it. God knits you together and he has a real purpose for your life. Not a fake one. Not one that's divided against itself. But one that is powerful. One that has meaning. That's full of hope. That's full of life and love. Jesus straight up loves you. Can I say that? Jesus loves you. 
as we look through this, I think you'll, as you study through it on your own, I think you'll come up with a lot of other really cool things that, that Jesus is showing us here. But as I look and I back up and I look at this whole thing from afar, I see people looking at Jesus saying, who are you? And him saying, I am the son of God. I am all powerful. No one can stand against me. And I love you. Repent. Come to me. Stay focused on me. Because if you don't, if you take your eyes off of me, it's not going to end up good for you. There it is. Encouraging message today, huh? I do want us just to kind of reflect on this a little bit. Maybe if you want to close your, your Bible apps down or, or just close your Bible a little bit. Um, here's some things to, to think about. And, and just in this place, we can reflect on God and who he is. Just, just quietly say, God, show me what you want me to learn today about yourself, who you are. Do you know that you have a spirit that lives inside you? That's eternal. Do you know that you are made in the image of God? Do you know that we're in a spiritual battle? It's a spiritual world. Satan wants to kill you and steal everything that's good from you. Do you and I rely on our own strengths to protect ourselves? We think we're strong enough. We think we're capable enough, intelligent enough, educated enough, wealthy enough. Really? Or do you and I rely on the Spirit of God to guide and protect us? In this place, maybe just tell God that you're tired of of trying to be the strong man in your life. Say, God, I want to trust you today. Some of us, we've doubted the nature of God, the goodness of God, the strength of God. Say, God, please help me to trust in your nature completely, to know that you're all good, you're all God, you're all powerful. Help us trust in your goodness, God. God, in this place, would you help us to fear sin just enough that we don't want to step outside your will. We want to stay focused on who you are.
God, please help us to find our true identity in who you are and in your word, who you say that we are in you. God, in a world that wants to kill us, pray that we can stay focused on you. God, we thank you for giving us the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome any darkness, to overcome any obstacle that Satan throws our way. God, I pray that we don't walk timid in your power. God, I pray as a people, even as church project, that we'll go about greedily in the places that we go. We'll speak of your love to our coworkers, to our people that we go to class with, to our friends, family, neighbors. God, we would speak of your love. It would forever be on our lips. We'd be looking for ways to interject this truth message of the gospel into every conversation. God, Satan is trying to deceive the world, and he's doing a pretty good job in Greeley. God, give us the power. Help us not to be timid. Help give us the power to stand in the gap for people, to speak truth and say, our God is good, sinless, perfect, and he loves you. God, I pray this week you open up conversations. Give us opportunities to tell people about your love to introduce people into this love relationship. God, I thank you in our lives for standing in our room and being the strong man in our house, being part of our kingdom, God, letting us be part of your kingdom, God, that we can stand. We can say God is good. Thank you for forgiving us and thank you for loving us. I'm going to invite all of us right now just to, just to worship God. And that means if, if, uh, if you want to worship by offering and it's on the back right, you can do that. You can fill out a commitment card uh, or not, whatever it's called, response card. Write a prayer request, what God's doing. Or maybe just sit there and think about the power of God and who he is in your life. We have Brant, we have Shannon up here that would love to pray with you. We can sing songs to God and just say, God, you are powerful. Hold our hands up to him and say, God, thank you. But just like last week when we talked about praying our story, think about where we've come. God has set us free. So let's respond out of that freedom. God, thank you for that freedom. And thank you for your power.